Good morning, everybody. So good to be on Saturday morning with a bunch of crazy lovers of Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. And as we were singing, we want to let the Lord come in. Okay, so we pray that the Lord will anoint all the speaking and all the ears so that we can receive him. Okay, let him in. Okay, before I start, I, would like, I want to ask uh, Meryl or Joseph, uh, maybe one of you brothers with the iPad could come here to the front, and when I draw something on the board, for the sake of everybody, uh, you can see more clearly because of the smallness of this. Um, now, does this work? Okay. Huh? Yeah, yeah just give them to me, yes. Yeah, I always like colors. Yeah, you can put them there. Okay, that's great. Thank you, brother. Okay, welcome everybody. If this is your first time, raise your hand. I mean, in the conference. Uh, you, very good. Okay. Praise the Lord. Now, if you were not here last night and this is your first message, raise your hand. Okay, so a good number of you. Um, as you know, we, last semester we covered um, the book of 1 Corinthians, and normally, you know, we will follow that with the second book that Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers, and that is why the title of this conference is Christ and the Church, Revealed and Experienced in 2 Corinthians. In his first book, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul said, the things that eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not come up in man's heart, things which God has prepared. You see, a lot of things God has prepared to those who love him. That's why I say I'm so happy to be here this morning with a lot of crazy lovers of Jesus, Amen. because that is the factor that will cause something to happen in the next verse. Verse 10, but to us, God has revealed them through the Spirit. Okay, so the things that God has prepared, God wants to reveal. But the link between God has prepared and God has revealed is those who love him. Do you love the Lord Jesus? We love you, Lord Jesus. And we are here because we love him. Okay, so we want to see Christ and the church revealed and even experienced in this book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Brother Paul told us last night, and this is really true, that this book of 2 Corinthians is not a, a lot about teachings or doctrines, but really it is about the experiences of Christ. And these experiences of Christ are for the building up of his body. Okay? So you need to know this. Now, last night, uh, it was wonderful. Uh, you know, I, I, I was a student. I was finishing my PhD in 1995. I was still a graduate student, about to finish the PhD. And I heard these messages. Uh, dear brother, who already went to be with the Lord, Hear these messages. And I never thought I would be speaking these messages now. <laughs> okay. So, brothers, young brothers, who knows? One day 
you may, you may be speaking. You may be speaking, Bobby. <laughs> About Christ and the church revealed and experienced in 2 Corinthians. Okay? So, just get ready. He already what? He already started. Very good. You, 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 have a, you have a better beginning than I have, okay? So, you all brothers and sisters are doing great. Okay. So, we have um, this book. And, um, and as I said, Paul last night, Brother Paul, he did a very good job with just one verse. You have to be impressed. This is the last verse of the book of 2 Corinthians. I, I beg you, com- I commit this verse to memory. Okay? That's 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Okay? And it is right there on message 1. And I, I feel that what Paul did last night was to unpack, just unzip uh, this verse. And he used the whole message to unzip this verse the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay, so he used this, uh, this outline last night, three Roman numerals, to really show us uh, the riches and everything God has done, a marvelous process uh, with these three things. You have the love of God. Maybe I should draw this here. Um, you have God here, okay? And then we saw how he was incarnated and lived a marvelous, perfect human life. He was buried. And then he resurrected and ascended, okay, where he was enthroned. He was made both Lord and Christ, and then he is ready to reach the target, okay? And that target is you and me with your three parts. Now, I'm going to draw something here in these three, a little mouth right there, okay? So you have the love of God, okay, right here, the love of God. He's the source. God is love, the Bible says. In 1 John chapter 4, God is love. He's the love, the love of God. And then we saw the grace of Christ. Okay? So when he was incarnated, he came full of grace and reality. Right? And uh, then, even on the cross, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of offenses according to the riches of his grace. So even in his crucifixion and in his resurrection and ascension, we see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit right here. You see, so with this one verse, with these three words, God is showing to us everything he has done to reach you. Everything he did, right? From eternity past, he, as love, he needed an object. You are the object of God's love. I am the object of God's love. And so he was willing to go through all this process. As the love of God, the grace of Christ, and eventually the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to reach us. And therefore, 
Paul, you know, Brother Paul told us last night, the last words I want to convey to you, and you have to remember and practice these words, do not waste the process. Don't waste it, okay? Uh, God did all these things. He went through all this process so that we, that we can just render him a little cooperation by opening our mouths and not waste the process, okay? So he did a marvelous, wonderful, big things, and we just need to open our mouths. That's how our Christian life began, remember? Just confessing his name, calling on his name, Lord Jesus, and boom, right there you have the love of God, the grace of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, right here. Be with you all. You are the target of God, and he has reached us. So this is wonderful, okay? I hope you get a tape, all those who couldn't make it last night, and listen to that message. It's a wonderful, wonderful summary of that one verse. Now, we're going to come to message two, and... um, When we come to this message, actually this is uh, one of three parts. The remaining of the conference, the spoken messages, are going to be on this same thing, which is uh, life-giving principles and practices in 2 Corinthians. Okay, So we're going to go through 26... A through Z, marvelous, life-giving principles and practices. Take a look, you know, right there on page 19, that's just one page for the message this morning. If you go to page 27, you have part two, okay? So that message will cover seven more points. And then message five on page 29 is part three. That is tomorrow morning. Two brothers will pick up this message. Wonderful. Ten more points. A through Z. This is like those multivitamin, multimineral supplements. A through C, okay? So uh, we have to take them in. This is God. This is a Dr. Jesus prescription for us. <laughs> okay, he's prescribing. Uh, well, we, he knows what we need to take, okay? So be exercised, as the brothers share, just be exercised to receive this wonderful speaking. Now, before I get into this, I want to come back to the subject of this book. You need to know the subject. And the subject of this book is on the New Testament ministry and the New Testament ministers. Now... When I say New Testament minister, I don't mean, you know, I don't use it as a designation reserved for a selected minority. No, no, no. God's desire is that every one of his children will become a New Testament minister. This is his desire. This is his intention, and we will see in, in, in letter A, in your first vitamin, how he does it. He will allow 
circumstances. As the sovereign one, remember last night, the leader? He, the leader. He will allow, he will arrange. I like what Paul said. You have a man, we have a manager. Within you and outside of you and above you, there is a manager. He's managing, he's arranging your situations. So that what? So that you suffer, only suffer? No, no. That you go through those things, those situations, and in the middle of those situations, you find Christ and gain him. So that you can pass, this, pass on this Christ to somebody else. That, in essence, is a New Testament minister. You, this, is, this is the hallmark of these experiences. You give what you got. You gain Christ. You experience him in those circumstances. And you pass that Christ unto somebody else. And that makes you a New Testament minister. And the body of Christ is in an urgent need of these this type of people. Okay? Your campus, your college campus, has an urgent need for New Testament ministers. Okay? So keep that in mind. <clears throat> and then um, concerning these 26 principles, they go in sequential order according to the book, okay? Beginning with chapter 1 and so forth, 26 marvelous principles. Um, I see some of you are writing your notes. Very good. I encourage you. Okay, don't trust in your memory right now. Grab a pen, write good notes, underline and circle those phrases in the outline that you feel the Lord is touching you, okay? Or utterances that the brothers, when they speak, you know, you feel moved by that or touch, because that may be the Lord speaking to you this morning or during the conference. Okay? We have to be like Job, who said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my apportioned food. We have to be like Job in chapter 23. Okay. Now, with that much, let us go to the first life-giving principle, and that is comforted for a reason. Okay, how about brothers, you start with verse 3, sisters follow, we alternate, and all together on 7. Ready? Go. Very good. Okay, I think you can, um, <clears throat> you know, see uh, the burden of this point right there in verse 4. Uh, you know, Paul and the brothers were going through a very difficult situation. And at that point, 
you know, they experience the God of all comforts in their affliction. But that was not just for Paul and the brothers to be comforted. But actually, it says that we may be able to comfort those who are in every affliction. You see how God allows, God arranges circumstances for us to go through so that we can experience him. And eventually, with this very Christ that we experience in those circumstances, we can become channels of blessing, channels, in this case, of comfort, to communicate the reality of comfort to somebody else. Right away, Paul begins with his burden here. We have an urgent need of small members, we may say small potatoes, like you and me, not a selected minority, but everybody, to be this kind of person. Okay? So, here in this book, God is called the God of all comfort. And as the point says, we are comforted for a reason. You know, affliction is not a nice word, but comfort is a very pleasant word. And you, as a young person, you need to know that uh, comfort and affliction are like twins. They always go together, and that is because if you need comfort, it's because you are going through a difficult situation, right? Now, to comfort others, teaching and knowledge are not adequate. You cannot just say to somebody, you know, on the back, you know, be comforted. <laughs> so, uh, as I said, God allows situations to come upon us so that we can experience him as the reality of comfort. And that eventually, we will be those channels through whom God is able to communicate the reality of comfort to somebody else. Okay? This is God's intention. He wants you to be such a channel. Okay? Um, you know, there is a story, this is a true story, uh, many years ago, a brother had lost his wife, and he was left alone with two kids. And, he, and nobody seemed to be able to comfort that brother in his sorrow. But in the same town, there was another brother who had lost years before his wife and was left with four kids. And when that brother came, just by entering into that room, this brother who had just lost his wife immediately was comforted. Immediately. So God wants to make us these people that even our presence will be a channel of blessing to somebody else, a channel of comfort in this case to a suffering one. Okay, that's, that's God's intention. So we have to have a vision, brothers and sisters. And this is the vision. When we are in an affliction, when you are going through an affliction, do you realize that that is just the beginning of comforting? Do we, do we see this? Or we just complain? 
When we go through an affliction, remember, God is the manager. He's arranging things. When we, I mean, I was touched when Paul told us about his mother last night. You know, when he lost his mother. Not easy, okay? But when we go through these situations, we have to realize that that's just the beginning of comforting. And that we are being comforted for a reason. And that's that we can minister the reality of that comfort to somebody else for the building up of the body of Christ. So we have to see that our comfort or our being comforted is for the church. Okay? So our comfort has a high purpose. We are comforted for the sake of the body so that the body can be built up. Please write down this reference on the side, 1 Corinthians 14.3. Paul says to the Corinthians, but he who prophesies speaks building up and encouragement and consolation to men. When somebody prophesies, there is a chance that he can speak consolation. So let me tell you something as a parenthesis here. Don't ever take the lie of the enemy, Bobby, that when you are down, you don't qualify to come to the meeting. That's a lie. Actually, we need you, Bobby. Because otherwise, those who prophesy consolation, who is there who needs consolation? If everybody's up, nobody needs consolation. But if Bobby comes there, and he's really under the weather, oh, you know, God knows that member needs consolation. Okay, so don't, don't believe the devil. Just come to the meeting. That's the best place. Okay, if you are up or down, just come to the meetings. Okay? Now, you have another verse there, and that's Second Corinthians 7, 6. How about we all read together? Go. Very interesting verse. Now, I want to say something about this verse. You really don't get comforted unless you fall into the category of a, of a down cow, downcast one. You have to be downcast. What is to be downcast? Is to be depressed. Is to be discouraged, dejected. You feel miserable. Have you ever felt like this? Well, when you find yourself in a position of being down, that's a time when you are a candidate for the God of all comfort. When you feel down, now you have become a candidate. Okay? God does not comfort those who are up. Comfort is reserved to those who are down. And this is also in the principle of the body. Look, I mean, consider the verse, okay? But he who comforts those who are downcast, that is God. Okay, so we'll say yes. God is the one who comforted me, even he's called the God of all comfort. Okay? But the verse doesn't stop there, okay? Okay, so... You have God. Let me see if I can use another color. Probably it would be better for you. Okay, so here is God. And then um, 
It is you. Okay? You are being comforted by God. That's what the verse says. But then it says, God comforted us by the coming of Titus. So how do you get comforted? Well, by God, yes, he's the God of all comfort. But here, Paul added something else very experiential. You have Titus. Okay? So you are comforted in these two directions. Vertically, by God, and horizontally, by the members of the body. You know why? Because Titus, or the brother next to you, has become a channel <laughs> to communicate the reality of comfort to you. So it's not just me and God vertically, but oftentimes, as I told you the story of that brother who lost his wife, is through somebody else. In this case, it was Titus. Okay? So that what? As a New Testament minister you may convey that same comfort to others. So you are comforted to comfort others. Okay? So you have that diagram right there. That's the principle of comforting. Very good. Now, let's move on to the response of death, a change in centers, a marvelous point. Okay? Well, <clears throat> here is a, I have a lot of feeling concerning this point. Uh, how about brothers read verse 8 and sisters read, read verse 9? Go. Amen. Please underline affliction. Underline the three times that Paul uses in verse 9 the word ourselves. And then underline God who raises the dead. Okay, so here's a question. When the apostles were under the pressure of affliction, to the point of despairing even of life, they asked themselves, what is going to be the end, the issue of this? And the response Paul says, was death. And these, when they, listen carefully, when the brothers got to this point where, the, where there was no way out, there is no escape, there is nothing we can do. When the response was death, this led the brothers to a vital decision. And that decision is not to base their confidence in themselves, but on God, comma, who raises the dead. This is the God of resurrection. Okay? So they experience this change in centers. Okay? They went from themselves or ourselves Okay, to God. So here you have ourselves, 
And then here you have God. And the brothers experience this change of centers. Here under ourselves, we have our own natural wisdom, our own natural ability, and our own natural strength. And these things really, believe it or not, make us independent from God. But when they were put in a situation where the only response was death, they made the transfer from themselves to God. There was a change of centers. Okay? So Paul tells us here in this verse, he uses this word, God who raises the dead. He is the God of resurrection with his resurrection life, with his resurrection power. And that makes us very dependent on God. There is no other way out. When we experience this, there is a fundamental change in us. A change. Listen to this. Not necessarily on the circumstances. The circumstances may be the same. Or get this, even worse. But... The change is in the core of your being. You have changed. That's the fundamental change. So, again, a wise God allows us to go through different things, right? So that the only thing left to do is to go in. That is, inwardly. We have to go in. Because today, the God of resurrection is in our spirit. You have no way out. You have to go in. You have to go inwardly. So through this change of centers, right here, we are reduced to our spirit. We are reduced to our spirit. And listen to this. The only thing left to do is to touch him. To touch him. And right then, it is at that moment, it's like a click when that happens. When you are reduced to your spirit and the only thing left to do is to touch him, then the God of resurrection has found a way to release his resurrection life and power through you. So God is very good at managing things because he wants to save us from remaining surface Christians. What is a surface Christian? Is one who only cares for God to change his circumstances or to solve his problems. A surface Christian is, sees God as a, a problem solver, God. He's there just to solve my problems, even though my inner being remains untouched. No fundamental change. But brothers and sisters, our view has to be different. We have to have a different view. What is that? After we have been reduced to our spirit to contact God, the outward situation may remain the same, 
but I have become a different person. That has to be our view. Okay? So, as a young person, you're not too young. You need to come to know God as the God of resurrection. Okay? If the only thing that God does for you is to perform miracles on your behalf, his nature will not be blended with you. God will remain God, and you will remain you. He can do a lot of things. I mean, he's almighty. He's all powerful. He can change things just like that. But that is not his desire. But on the other hand, if we touch the God of resurrection in our spirit, his very nature will be wrought in us. And that will bring a fundamental change in our being. That's what makes God happy. Okay, let me give you a couple of illustrations. One is in the book of Exodus. You remember when God opened the way for the children of Israel to cross the Red Sea? I mean, the opening the Red Sea was a miracle and shows us how mighty our God is. Yet that miracle did not bring any measure of the life of God into the Israelites. Did not bring it. Okay? And later on, despite of the many miracles that God performed for them, for them in the wilderness, nothing of God was wrought into their constitution. You have to ask yourself, what do I want God to be to me? Just one who does things on my behalf, changes my circumstances, makes them easier? Or the God of resurrection, who wants his nature to be blended with mine? In contrast to that, we have Paul right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Right? He was painfully tried, and even he despaired of life. But it was through these experiences that he learned to trust in the God who raises the dead. And in this particular case, God not only changed Paul's circumstances, he communicated his own nature to Paul. Okay? And every experience of the God of resurrection brought a fresh measure of God himself into Paul's inner being. That should be our goal, brothers and sisters. So write this quote. It is only through death that God can cleave a way for himself into our life. It is only through death that God can cleave a way for himself into our life. Now I have a question for all of you. Very famous question. Most, many people have asked this question in the last centuries. What's the primary purpose of suffering in this universe? What's the primary purpose of suffering? Why do we suffer? Well, based upon all this, we can answer this way. It is that through suffering, the very nature of God may be wrought into the nature of man. That's the primary purpose. 
That's why Christians suffer. Yes, Christians suffer. It has been allotted to us. Paul says not only to believe in him, but also to suffer on his behalf. That is your allotment. But do not waste your sorrows. Have a personal encounter with the God of resurrection. Be reduced to your spirit where you can contact him. And he will find a way to be released and blend his nature with yours. Write down this reference on the side of your outline. Job 22.25. Job 22.25. You know what it says? It says, Then the Almighty will be your gold nuggets and precious silver to you. Then the Almighty will be your gold nuggets and precious silver to you. Question is, how does the Almighty become my gold? You know, gold in the Bible, if you don't know, it's a symbol of the divine nature. How he, the Almighty, becomes my gold? Well, the answer is in the next chapter. Job 23, verse 10. Write down this reference. Job 23, 10. That verse reads, But he knows the way that I take. But he, God, but he knows the way that I take. Should he try me, I will come forth as gold. Should he try me, I will come forth as gold. So every trial, every suffering provides an opportunity for the God of resurrection to impart himself into his creatures so that they emerge from the death process with a divine element in their constitution. I mean, this is wonderful to have this kind of view. Right? Okay, I have another diagram for you. So we have Job um, 22-25. And I'm going to draw it like this. Here is God, and here is you. And here on this side, this is God, and let me use another color. God and you. Blended. That means blended. Okay? So, <clears throat> Job 22.25 says that the Almighty will become my gold nuggets. And we ask, how does that happen? Okay, so God arranges circumstances, okay, so that we can go through them, okay, Job 23.10 is right here. Um, Okay, so 
he allows you to go through trials. And Job says, should he try me, I will come forth as gold. When we go through these death experiences, remember, we were reduced to what? To our spirit, right? So right there. And here we have the three parts of man. And here is the divine encounters. Right there. You have Paul. And you have here the God of resurrection. And right here, at that point, <clears throat> when you are in the middle of it, <clears throat> you have no other choice but to run into, to contact this God who raises the dead so that he will impart more of his divine nature into you, and you will come out, out of that, as gold. Brothers and sisters, there is no escape of sufferings, okay? Everybody goes through sufferings. Even in college, you go through sufferings, okay? But our sufferings have a, a, a reason and a purpose, okay? And that is that God wants to blend his nature with ours. And every Christian comes out of a trial in one of two ways. Even he comes out bitter, complaining, murmuring, disagreeing with God. Or, like Job 23.10 says, I will come forth as gold. Now imagine this, brothers, you here. How many, how many experiences in your four years in college God arranges for you to go through this, you see? Not just once every four years, many times every semester. Sometimes many times in one week. Just like this. How are you going to come out of those complaining, murmuring, or, like Job said, I will come forth as gold. That has to be our aspiration. Lord, I, I have, I'm not just speaking a message. This has been my experience. I have told the Lord many times, okay, Lord, if you, you, know, you could, as the Almighty God, you can just get me from here to here without this. <laughs> but it seems that you don't want to do it. You want me to go through this, okay? Then I'm going to ask you something. If you are allowing me to go through this, I want to come forth as gold. Amen. Could you believe, brother, after many of these experiences, when you graduate, could you see in that commencement ceremony, when they called your name, Paul, yes, and Carl goes, you know, there, and receives that paper, the angels will be watching. So much gold wrought into your being. They will be, if we can hear them, they, they are clapping. <laughs> they are stretching their necks to see the marvelous change of the new creation. Why? Because Carl was one who learned not to complain because of these circumstances, but to turn them as opportunities 
to come forth as gold. God, if you're allowing me to go through this, I want more of Christ wrought into my being. Otherwise, why suffering? It's a waste. Okay? So you have to see this. And guess what? You know, when you come out of this, you gain him, and he gains something. This is a poor picture, okay? A poor drawing of a new Testament minister. Oh, now you have gained Christ, you have experienced Christ, and are ready to minister to somebody else. It's marvelous. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay, so let's move on to a conscience that testifies. Okay, I think you got the point here. Okay, all together on Second uh, Corinthians one twelve. Go. Okay, very good. Now, underline our boasting. Okay. Here, Paul likes to say that he is boasting. And you know, normally, uh, Paul uh, likes to say that he boasts in Christ Jesus, just like in Philippians chapter 3. We boast in Christ Jesus, he said, and have no confidence in the flesh. But here, he's boasting in something else. He's boasting in the testimony of his conscience. So underline that, the testimony of our conscience. Now you need to know a little background here. Paul was the spiritual father of the Corinthian believers. You know, you can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 15, where he says, you know, Corinthians, you may have thousands of child conductors, but you don't have many fathers. Actually, I am your father because I begot you, you know, through the gospel. He was the father of the Corinthian believers, not just a child conductor. Well, but the Corinthians were giving him a hard time. They were questioning his authority. Are you really who you say you are? Are your motives right? You know, do you really have authority over us? So they were questioning him. And, you know, with this verse, verse 12 that you just read, Paul, in a sense, was saying, you know, Corinthians, it's not a matter of what you say or what we say. What you say may be off, and maybe what we say could be off. But our conscience, Paul said, our conscience is going to hit the mark. Our boasting is in our conscience. Our conscience is the testimony. It's not what you say or what we say. Okay? So, concerning the conscience, very important. For the experiences of Christ, you have to pay attention to this point. We, write this down, we cannot have genuine experiences of Christ without our conscience. Do you get it? We cannot have genuine experiences of Christ without our conscience. All genuine experiences of Christ 
go through our conscience. So this means that we need to learn, as a young person, we need to learn to deal with our conscience and then go on to experience Christ. Okay? Our conscience is acting like a guard so that we will not be deceived thinking that we are experiencing Christ when in reality we are not. Our conscience is a guard, is guarding the genuineness, the reality of our experiences of Christ. Our conscience, when we deal with our conscience in a proper way, leads us to experience Christ in a genuine and real way. Okay? So here, Paul likes to say that his conscience is testifying. It's testifying something that in singleness and sincerity of God, underline in singleness and underline of God. Singleness of God. What does this mean? Singleness of God. Because that's what the conscience is testifying. And we want our conscience to testify the same thing. Singleness of God means that we have only one person and one goal. And that is, our conscience needs and must testify that I am a person who is one with the Lord for the accomplishment of his eternal purpose. Singleness of heart implies this. That as a young believer, you are ruined for everything else but God. That's what it implies. Now, when I say this, ruined for everything else, I'm not saying that outwardly you don't do this or that, that you don't take care of your studies or get a major or a degree or a job. No, no. But that in your heart, everything else, apart from God, is a very, very distant second in your heart. And singleness of God will simplify everything in your life and will save you from a life that is confused, a life that is complicated. So you need to singleize your life to Christ, and get out of the fog. Right? Then, you know, in the verse, after he mentions the singleness of God, Paul brings in the grace of God, underline in the grace of God. And it's very meaningful, because this implies that when we come back to singleness of God, you will find that grace is there to supply you. Okay? And with, with that supply of grace, listen to what he says, we have conducted ourselves. Underline, conducted ourselves. With that fresh supply of grace, you will know how to conduct yourself in any situation. Marvelous, huh? Oh, wow. What a life-giving principle. Okay, let us move on to promises, 
converted to experience. That's point D. How about all together on 2 Corinthians 1.20? Go. Very good. Okay. This is a marvelous point. I really like it. Well, actually, all the points. Uh, <laughs> as many promises of God as there are, how many promises are there? Any guess? Where is Kyle? Kyle usually likes this kind of stuff. Kyle, where are you, Kyle? Okay, Kyle. <laughs> how many promises? Uh, you know, I was just doing some uh, search, Kyle, and I found that uh, some people uh, say that at least 3,000. Others have counted 5,000, and others uh, even 7,000. We're talking about thousands, okay? Promises of God. Paul says, as many promises of God as there are. He didn't give a number. He just said, as many. However many. <laughs> In Christ... <laughs> Is a yes. In Christ, all the promises of God are a yes. Underline in him and underline yes. Therefore, also through him is the amen to God. <laughs> For glory through us to God. So we have to, um, you know, go from promises that are just there in the Bible Okay, here you have the promises, and then we have here the experience, okay? Promises and experience. So we have to uh, experience this transfer from promises. They are there in the Bible, but it's not good for the promises of God to just stay there in the shelf of our Bibles. No. They have to be converted to experiences. They have to be in our being and for the sake of the body. Okay? The promises belong to God. Right here. They belong to God. He made the promises. But the experiences belong to us. Okay, now how are they converted? How do we convert the promises to experiences? Okay, well, I have an equation for you. I like equations. I major in chemistry, so um, where is the eraser? Okay, I'm going to do it here. Yes plus amen. equals or results in experience. That's like a reaction. That's like uh, nitro, and that's like toluene and nitro. And then you have a very good explosive. You have an organic explosion. TNT. Okay. Yes. What is the yes? Question, who is going to fulfill all the requirements of the promises? Who is going to fulfill that? Christ. In him, in Christ. Is a yes. 
In, in Christ, every promise of God finds its fulfillment. He is the divine yes. Therefore, in him, no situation is hopeless because he is the divine yes. What about amen? Amen is not only Christ. You know, in Revelation chapter 3, he calls himself the amen. He is the amen. But here, in 2 Corinthians, is not just Christ. Right? In this amen, we enter into the picture. When we respond with a hearty amen, that promise, that particular promise, becomes our experience. So our little cooperation, just little, a little cooperation is to say amen to the Lord. So we need both. You know, for, to have that organic explosion, to have that experience, we need both reactants. We need the yes, and we need the amen. Without the yes, let's say you erase the yes. There is no yes. There is no fulfillment. It doesn't matter how amen, amen you say. Nothing happens. But what about without the amen? The same thing. Nothing happens. So we have to say amen to God, to all the promises that we encounter in the Bible. We don't want to be the limiting reactant. God is ready. God did everything. God went through all the process. Right? He found a person where all the promises of him are yes, but we may be the limiting factor. So we need to exercise our spirit of faith and open our mouth. Learn to open your mouth and say amen to every promise of God. Amen, amen is a wonderful word. It's not just a filler. It's a wonderful word. And if we had time, which we don't, I was going to challenge you. Take a minute with your partner and come up with a promise. What promise? Whatever promise. You don't need to know the, the reference. If you know it, that's fine. But find a promise. And I was going to call five of you to come here to the front and tell us the promise. And the rest of us will say, Amen. When God says, um, <clears throat> if you confess your sins, I am faithful and righteous to forgive you and to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. What do you say? Amen. When God says, come now and let us reason together, says Jehovah, though your sins are like scarlet, they will become as snow. What do you say? Amen. When God says in Zephaniah chapter 3, I, then I will change the language of the peoples into a pure language. So that they will call upon my name and serve me in one accord. What do you say? Amen. Bobby, tell me a promise. Tell us a promise. Right here. Come, come. Any promise. Okay. Right here. Yes, all orgy. What, what promise? Any promise. Comforts us in all our affliction. Amen. God, any other, other promise? Think about a promise, Ben. Yeah. A promise to deliver you. Amen. Amen. Okay. Amen. Okay. What, what are a promise? Come, come. A promise to take up your anxieties. Amen. Amen. Anybody knows that verse? verse Casting three. all your anxieties on verse him three, five, because it matters to him concerning you. Right. And you say? 
Amen. Very good. No more time. Sorry. I think that's a good point to stop. How are you pray with your neighbor before we move on? Pray with your neighbor. Take a moment to pray.